Welcome to Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. In this program, we want to encourage you in your Christian faith by showing how scientific evidence supports the Bible, particularly the Genesis account. The book of Genesis lays the foundation for all matters addressed in the rest of the Bible. The nature of God, His sovereignty in creation, man's purpose, sin, marriage, family, and why we need a Savior are all introduced and explained in Genesis. When we see that the first and most foundational book of the Bible can be trusted in all matters, including science, it builds confidence in the rest of the inspired Word all the way to Revelation. Joining us on today's show is ICR's CEO, Dr. Henry Morris III. He'll continue his five-part series on five reasons to believe in recent creation. The Bible is very precise in its language about the timescale of creation. The very concept of our day is defined in the first chapter of Genesis. So is it possible to translate the word day to mean age to accommodate the required eons of evolution? And does the biblical record have any compatibility with the story of evolution? Stay tuned for today's show of Science, Scripture, and Salvation as Dr. Morris examines how evolution's order and the biblical record are in irresolvable conflict with each other. Here's Dr. Morris. We've been talking about the reason that the Scripture does not permit any kind of evolutionary thinking in its pages. Simple fact is God doesn't have to use evolutionary ages to bring about creation. The Bible's language is precise about the duration of creation. The very concept of our day is defined explicitly in the very first chapter of Genesis. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, it's interesting that God would take the effort to give us a vocabulary word to explain what he did. Just as time is measured in the present by days that are defined by the passage of the sun, so time began to be measured by God as the darkness, night and evening, passed into light, day and morning. That first cycle, the day-night cycle, was called day one. The same formula is repeated for each of the six working days of God's initial work week. Once again, God seems to go out of his way to make sure that we could not mistake what he meant. Surely there's no more clear way to define the time involved than the specific word choices of Genesis chapter 1. Later, with his own finger, God wrote on the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is and rested on the seventh day. This comparison between the six days of labor that all men experience and the seven days of creation cannot possibly be taken as an allegorical allusion to immediate eons. Day has to mean a normal, everyday day. It's interesting that God would go to such careful precision of language to make sure that we understand what he did. The only stated reason in Scripture why God did not create the entire universe in a single day is that God intended the creation week to be a template so man would know how to best function with the life that God had created. God, who needs no rest for himself, in his compassion, anticipated and planned for man's rest. 
Jesus gave us the reason. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Don't miss that. God created the way we are to rest. Part of the creation structure is the work-rest cycle that God instituted during the creation week. This regular day that God has established in the creation week is denoted in Hebrew by the word yom, the plural is yamim. That word is used over 3,000 times in the Old Testament. In Genesis 1-5, it's precisely delineated as the passing of darkness into light. It's one solar day. It's coupled with the expression evening and morning 38 times, and is accompanied by a numerical modifier 359 times, that is the eighth day and the 17th day and so on. The plural form appears 845 times. In none of these above 1,242 references can the word mean anything other than a literal 24-hour solar day. The context is absolutely clear. In order to twist that around, you've got to do all kinds of mumbo-jumbo to make it mean something else. The rest of the 1,700 times the Hebrew word appears in its singular form and are never used to speak of an eon-long age. Occasionally, day may be used to identify an unspecified period of time, as in the day of trouble or the day of the Lord, used some 24 times in the Old Testament, or as in the case of Genesis 2-4, in the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. The only reason to translate day as age is to accommodate the required eons of evolution. Evolutionary thinking must have long, inexplicable, unthinkable ages to work, and a concept to accept the literal day creation is recorded only in Genesis. That first verse is sort of like a first test of faith. Everything that God has written for us speaks eloquently, precisely, and very clearly of what he accomplished during his work week. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We'll talk a little bit more about this after the break. These are exciting things that God has provided for us in the scriptures. It's clear, it's precise, and it's wonderful. What happened to the dinosaurs? Are monkeys and people the same? Why do we live on Earth and not some other planet? Kids have some great questions about God's creation, but do you have the answers for them? At the Institute for Creation Research, our scientists and Bible scholars have produced The Guide to Creation Basics. This book contains full-colored images and fascinating commentary from experts in biology, geology, astronomy, and biblical study. Guide to Creation Basics can help teach your children how the animals could fit on Noah's Ark, how dinosaurs and humans could live at the same time, and how God's power and wisdom can be seen in something as small as a single cell. Find basic answers to your child's biggest creation questions. Order your copy of Guide to Creation Basics from the Institute for Creation Creation Research by calling 800-628-7640 or visiting www.icr.org. This is Dr. Henry Morris continuing our study of the evidence for a recent creation. We've been talking about the, the words, the language, the specifics of Scripture. Creation account does not match evolutionary progression. The story of evolution excludes God in all of its thinking. 
But furthermore, the biblical record is not at all compatible with the story of evolution. Several foundational premises are in conflict with each other. Some hybrid theories of what could be called crevolution devised by Christians insist that the creation account in Scripture is, describes an order of development that is essentially the same as the order of evolutionary development. That's simply just not so. Those who propose such nonsense are either ignorant of what is recorded in Genesis, or they deliberately preach falsehood to make their particular brand of hybrid compromise fit the atheistic story of evolutionary science. Even a quick glance at the Genesis record manifests irresolvable conflicts. In the Bible record, matter was created by God. In the evolutionary order, matter has existed forever. In the biblical record, Earth was created before the sun and the stars. Well, that's exactly the opposite. In the evolutionary order, sun and stars had to exist before the earth. The Bible says the ocean was formed, then the land. Evolution says land existed before the ocean. In the Bible record, light came before the sun. In the evolution, of course, the sun was the earth's first light. The Bible says land plants were the earth's first life and the evolutionist says marine organisms were the first life. The Bible says plants were created before the sun. Evolution says the sun existed long before plants. We could go on. There's just opposite after opposite after opposite. Everything that the Bible record gives us fits nowhere in the evolutionary system of thinking. Perhaps one can say that the account in Genesis shows a simple to complex progression of creation. But the biblical progression is absolutely out of sequence with the evolutionary theory. The specificity of the information in Genesis, in total agreement with the many other passages in the Bible that speak of the creation week, is so obviously different that the order of evolutionary development that one wonders why there is even an attempt to compare the two. The evolutionists will never accept these hybrid theories. In the evolutionary context, Death becomes the, the good thing, that which brings about the better, the survival of the fittest. In the biblical structure, death is a, is a punishment, a judgment, an insertion that does not fit the grand and glorious aspect of what God had created for us. Everything that we see in the biblical record speaks eloquently of God's mercy and truth and judgment and order and purpose. None of that is in the evolutionary cosmogony. Evolution must have no order, no purpose, no direction. Its randomness is the key to its story. Things just happen without any sequence, without any progression, without any purpose, without any end goal in mind. Death is merely the, the process by which the insufficient are weeded out. That must require eons of time of unthinkable accidents. In the Scripture, everything is precise and organized and structured. There is no accident in the biblical record. God has made it very clear to us in His precision that the Bible has no evolutionary idea. It is not only created, but it is purposeful. It has direction it has an end. It has a purpose. All of that focuses entirely on the message of the gospel. As a matter of fact, 
if creation is not true, if the record in Genesis is incorrect, then the gospel has absolutely no meaning. The death of Jesus Christ is irrelevant. In fact, it's, if anything, an unnecessary act of a very foolish martyr. There's so much to this that we must detail it in, in the direction of what Scripture gives us. This is Dr. Henry Morris signing off for now. We'll be with you next time as we look into the second reason of a recent creation. Science simply does not observe evolution happening today. Thank you for joining us on Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. That's all the time we have for our program today, but we would love to connect with you through our website at icr.org. For over 45 years, ICR has equipped believers with evidence of the Bible's accuracy and authority by showing how science supports the Genesis creation account. Our scientists research the evidence for creation and communicate their findings through books, articles, DVD series, and conferences. Please visit our website at icr.org for more information about the latest scientific discoveries, to subscribe to our free magazine and devotional, and to locate our next creation conference at a venue near you. All of this and more at icr.org.